From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Thank you for joining us for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We've got Mark Langston, Ben McDonald, and Eno Saris from The Athletic. Mark Langston, a Bay Area kid, and you hear me say it all the time, the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time. He was a four-time All-Star, a seven-time Gold Glove winner, and led the American League in strikeouts three times as a left-hander, a career 179 to 158 record. Mark Langston could deal. Here is my conversation with the lefty. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live is the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time and in the San Jose State Baseball Hall of Fame. He was a four-time All-Star, a seven-time Gold Glove winner, and a three-time AL strikeout leader, now a great broadcaster for the Angels. Mark Langston is with us. It's always great to have you back on the program. I tell you what, this, the Spartan connection is always a beautiful thing. So I always enjoy our conversations every time we get to have them. You know, I remember when we were trying to figure out who Shohei Otani is, and I remember we were <laughs> we were reading these scouting reports when these scouts went over to Japan and they said this guy has ace like ace like stuff, but I'm not sure is I don't think he's going to be able to hit at the major league level. I look back at those reports and go, are you kidding me? It is amazing what he is doing down there in Anaheim. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's difficult to do one of those traits or one of those skill left, but for Shohei to be able to do both at the level he's doing it is crazy. And I'm with you. When he first came over from Japan, I thought the struggle would always be in the offensive side. Because stuff plays, it doesn't matter where, what league you play in. When you throw 100 and have a filthy split, that's going to play anytime. But the offensive side, you get over here, these, these are the best in the world that play over here. They can find holes and they will exploit those holes. I thought that's where the struggle would come from. And, boy, I was wrong. Even in 2018, he showed us, uh-uh, I can hit at the major league level this year. Well, he's taken it to another level here in 2021. And I think part of that is the freedom that Joe Madden has allowed him to have. First time, I think, in his baseball career, he's had complete freedom to call his shots. Yeah, because I was like, I, want, I, I don't care – you know, what day he's pitching, I have him in the lineup every day. This is like Little League. You're the best player. You're pitching. You're hitting. You're playing every day. We're not taking you out of the lineup. We're not babying you. Yeah, I agree. And that's part was been part of the problem when he was pitching. We wouldn't see him in the lineup for three straight days. That's a big piece out of your lineup. And certainly the way he's performing this year, it's a major piece out of your lineup. So Joe Ben had a long conversation with him saying, hey, if you want to do both, Here's the deal. I need you in this lineup. You can't have the day off before you pitch or, you know, you got to start picking these moments here because I got to have you in the lineup. And so Shohei, and he gave him complete freedom to call it. Says, hey, you want to hit the day you pitch, you can hit. If you want to hit the day after your pitch, you tell me you're not sore and your body's telling you you can do it, you're going to be in the lineup. So Shohei has been able to call his shots. The only thing that Joe Madden asked out of him is to be transparent and say, hey, when you need a blow and you need an opportunity to take a rest, you've got to be honest with me because I don't know what's in your mind. I don't know how your body feels. So if Shohei is up, up front with Joe, Joe has no issues putting him in the lineup. Every time Shohei goes thumbs up, I'm in. When do you think we can see him go once every five days and go more than five innings? Uh, you, you, the whole big picture of this is you got to remember, this guy hasn't pitched in two and a half years, and he barely pitched the last year in Japan. He had some elbow issues, only made 10 starts his rookie year. So th there's a lot of – there's a big gap there, and there's not a lot of levels of arm strength. So I think they're going to – the six-man rotation the Angels are on, it's because of Shohei. They want to make sure they give him rest, but they, they obviously have him in the lineup. Next year – that could, that could change very easily next year. Once these guys, you know, obviously everybody was affected by the 2020 season. 
But for Shohei, he did again. He didn't even get a chance to pitch. We don't even count those two starts that he had last year. So it's building that base up, and that's kind of what we've seen with Shohei. He's been a little rusty command-wise uh, this season. A lot of it is he had the blister problem early after his first start, and then he got hit on the right elbow in one in one right before one of his starts. So that set him up. So he hasn't been able to do the side days like he normally would. But now that's starting to get consistent for him. So we'll see how it plays out. But I think next year you could see him every five days. I was, I've been asking people this. I asked Ray Fossey. I asked Ken Korak. I said, can you imagine before the start of the season, I would have said by the time we finally face the Angels, there would be no Mike Trout and there would be no Pujols. And we've all gone like, wow. What has that been like? Albert Pujols no longer with the Angels playing for the Dodgers and Mike Trout out with a calf again. Yeah, obviously the Trout scenario is a major, major issue. Uh, you know, Trout, the best player in the game of baseball, uh, and um, and having him not in the lineup on a daily basis, it, it's, it's a big missing piece. Albert, no question – I mean, I felt blessed to be able to watch what he has done and the people he's passed. The day he passed Willie Mays on the home run list, I had texted him immediately after the game and I said, I almost had tears in my eyes because I grew up watching Willie Mays, watching those home runs, and to see you go past one of the greatest players in the game, uh, it was thrilling to me. And it was a, Albert's a class act any way you want to put it. Uh, it, and it came to one of those scenarios. I wasn't in the room. I don't even know what happened in the, the scenarios that were presented to Albert. But his playing time was going to greatly decrease just from Otani's going to DH every day. And Jared Walsh, the young kid, is has been off to a great start. He's going to play first base. So uh, I, I don't know. Albert's role from that point on was going to be maybe some at-bats off lefties and some pitch hitting. I, and, and I don't know if that was something that, uh, you know, Albert didn't want to do. I, again, I wasn't in the room. I don't know how that whole thing played out. But you, you feel, you know, I'm sad that I don't get to see Albert Pujols uh, have his at-bats anymore. You know, it, it's happened throughout the history of our game. I think about all the teams that you played for, uh, and you think about Willie Mays being a Met against the A's in the World Series. You know, some of the greatest players, whether we're talking Babe Ruth or Willie Mays, for God's sakes, Ricky Henderson played for almost everybody. It's just, uh, <laughs> it, it just happens, right? I mean, it's just, it's the way the sport works. Father Time's going to grab everybody that puts a uniform on, no matter what level or wherever you go. It's going to play out. And uh, for Albert, uh, you know, he's getting towards the end. He, he, you know, it's, he still wants to play. And it almost reminds me of what Carlton Fisk told me one time. He said, you play until they rip that jersey off your back because you'll always have that time on the outside. But, you know, it, it, very few guys get to call their shots at the very end of their career. Albert is certainly deserving of whatever he wants to do. Let him do it. And I'm glad that he found a team, and I'm glad that the Dodgers – decided that they were going to give him an opportunity because he still wants to play baseball. And he's still, you know, a guy that can drive in runs. He, that's the one thing with Albert. Yes, he's not the Albert Pujols of the St. Louis Carl, Cardinals days, but he is a guy that knows how to drive a run in. Every time it seemed like you needed that big RBI, Albert found a way to get it done. So he still possesses that ability. And just having him around, being in anybody's clubhouse, you're going to be better just from the experience and the conversations he's able to have with everybody on that team. You know, talking about trout and that calf, we just had our old buddy Josh Donaldson on, and he's dealt with this now for a few years. And now this is a second straight year for, for trout. And it's just scary because, I mean, he's the kind of guy we all want to see. I mean, obviously he's killed the A's, but you want to see him because he's truly one of the greatest players we've ever seen. How, how worried are you guys about that calf? Yeah, it's, you, you just mentioned Josh Donaldson. The Angels just played a doubleheader with the Twins yesterday. So we saw Donaldson, and Donaldson's not the same player. I mean, I watched him run, on, and, and it's like he cannot pick him up and put him down. He just it's put the head down, and he gives you everything he's got. So for Mike Trout, uh, it, it is something that is calf injuries, man, they are scary little deals. Certainly when you're a power guy like Trout, and speed is one of your factors, 
And you have to really, when you get back and you're feeling really good, you've done all the rehabs, but you haven't cranked it up in a game situation because that'll be the final test. And you could do minor league rehabs all you want, but it'll never be the same as if you're in Yankee Stadium, you've got to beat out a ball or you got to make that play out in the outfield when that first quick step is going to come into play at that major league level in a major league game. So uh, it's something they, they have got to take their time with this one. They got to try to make sure it is completely healed. Otherwise, you're going to chase it not only this year, but you're right. Maybe you chase it for, for years to come. So I think that that's the game plan right now for the Angels. They are going to make sure that this thing is completely healed before you'll see Trout back on the field again. As we mentioned earlier, you led the American League in strikeouts three times. You struck out a lot of people in your career. But can you imagine playing today where people don't care about strikeouts? How many guys you'd strike out in today's game? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's like there, there was a lot of pride, and guys did not want to strike out or strike out at all. They always try to put the ball in play. And you're right. You see the same swing uh, on the first pitch as you do on an 0-2 pitch. There's no adjustments really made at all. Something that Joe Madden has been preaching to these guys with the Angels. The Angels are a team that they don't strike out a lot. Joe Madden's even talked about these guys choking up a little bit. Get into your two-strike swing, and let's try to spray the ball around. And, yes, you, you are going to sacrifice potentially some power in those situations, but we're looking for contact. And, and Joe's been preaching that. But you're right. In today's game, it's, it's few and far between guys making adjustments when they have two strikes on them. You know, when you're up in the booth and you see these shifts and sometimes you're going to see four guys in the outfield, some guy, sometimes you see everybody on the right side or everybody on the left side. I'm not sure pitchers are comfortable pitching with the shift behind them. Uh, Can you imagine what that would have been like? And would you have liked it? Would you have pitched to the shift or or would have been something that would have annoyed you? You know, you, you've got to make sure every pitcher is involved. And, but here's the deal. It's all great in pregame and on paper. It's great to, you know, to map all that stuff out, where you want to position. But you get into a game, and the, the stuff that you just talked about, how you're going to attack a guy, that may have to switch and change because you don't have that stuff. So you have to make the adjustment. So you may be positioning with your A stuff, and you don't have that A stuff, that's the part that, that really uh, I would freak out on. And to me, I always like the, the, you know, back in the day, as you well know, the infielders kept tab on what your stuff was that day. And they were able to judge it and almost position themselves accordingly. So they would make the, you know, the, take the two steps to the left or two steps to the right based on either the breaking ball or maybe your stuff that day. Yeah, we had Ben McDonald on recently. He was now broadcasting for the Orioles, and he talked about how his rookie year, Cal Ripken Jr., was calling his pitches. Yeah, I remember all those stories about Cal out there who would call pitches. Uh, And, you know, here's again, a legend, a guy that's paying attention. And the whole time I played with the Angels, I sat next to Rod Carew every night. I learned more about my craft sitting next to Rod listening to either talk to our hitters or if I was pitching in a series, I would ask him, Rod, what do you think about this guy? What, what do you see? And he'll go, watch his hips. His hips are opening real quick. He's vulnerable to off-speed stuff on the outer half. So you, you have to pay attention to that stuff. So you trust those everyday players that are in that batter's box every day and listening to their feedback. That's critical to me. Well, I can't wait to get back to normal, and it's going to be, you know, soon. We're actually, I'm bringing the kids. We play you guys. It's a day game. Then we're flying down to Anaheim, and I'm taking the kids to uh, Disneyland on the 17th. I think that's when I'll kind of feel normal walking down Main Street at Disneyland, being in Southern California since we've been basically locked here in Northern California. Yeah, you, you'll love it. It's, it's pretty open down here, certainly – we're in the bubble down here in Orange County, way more than everybody else. Uh, so th- you're right. Things are opening by the day here in Southern California, which is, which is great, uh, and it's fun. We keep hearing our, our, our stadium's going to open up to, uh, you know, to more people here very, very soon, and that'll be great. That'll be, it's fun to just to see people in the seats now 
But when they start, you know, packing them in again, uh, I can't wait for those days. Well, it's great to hear your voice. We miss seeing you guys up here in Northern California. Be well, be safe, and, and hopefully we'll be able to talk soon. All right, Townsy. Always great talking to you, and I look forward to it down the road. Ben McDonald was the number one overall pick out of LSU. He's now a broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles, and he's got a great story about Cal Ripken calling his pitches when he was a rookie. Ben McDonald does television for the Baltimore Orioles. Longtime big league pitcher for the Orioles and the Brewers. One of the greatest college baseball players of all time. And he's got stories for days. Here is Ben McDonald. Ben, it is great to catch up with you. How is life treating you? I can't complain. It's you know, it's baseball season. The fans are back in the stands. Uh, you know, not full capacity yet, but we're moving in that direction. But it's just great to have fans back in the stands again. The college game is, is heating up. We're getting close to playoff time in the college game. Looking forward to that. And of course, love coming back and doing Oriole games as well. Well, before we get into this series, I I want people to know you were really one of the first with guys like Will Clark who were college baseball stars where we watched you on ESPN. I mean, you won an Olympic gold medal. You won the Golden Spikes Award. You played in the College World Series, the number one overall pick. But your college career was so amazing. When you look back, what was it like playing on television that much at LSU? Well, you know, it was just different, you know, and, and, and I was drafted like a lot of, you know, players like Will Clark out of high school and got drafted by the Braves, but really wanted to go to LSU, man. I wanted to have that college experience and play in front of the home folks. I grew up about 20 minutes from, from LSU, so it was hard to get away and got to play basketball and baseball there and, of course, ended up being pretty good at baseball and chose that route, but it was fun. I mean, anytime you were on TV back then, which we weren't on TV all the time, but every, you know, every game in the college game now is on some type of network. You can watch on ESPN Plus or if it's not on one of the linear networks. So it's changed a lot like everything has. But it was a real treat for us to get out and play, you know, on ESPN and get, get some national exposure at the time. So it was a lot of fun. And then win a gold medal. I mean, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, – people always ask me, how does that rank? And I always say it's, it's, it, it is at the top. It's number one just because, you know, it's a – Anytime you get to wear the red, white, and blue, and you're you're, you're out of your own country on foreign soil, and you get to compete, and it says USA across your chest, man. And I was a big Olympian, like a lot of people were. As far as I loved the Summer Olympics, I wanted to get out and I watched every time the Summer Olympics came on, and I always wondered what would it be like to stand on that platform and have somebody drape a gold medal over your neck. And I tell you what, I get goosebumps just talking about it, and got to experience that and got to do that, man. So that was. You know, another plus to going to school at the time because they weren't allowing professionals to play in the Olympics back then as far as baseball went. So I got to have that experience as well, man. And it ranks right there at the top of of some things I was lucky enough to accomplish. What do you do with the gold medal? You know, I have it at my house. It's matted. It's it's with the uniform that I wore. And it's matted. Just just hang it up at my house, man. And so, uh, you know, with the golden spikes and some other things. And uh, just in my office and try to keep the dust off of it from time to time, but it's fun to look back on it every now and then and, and, and have those memories that were a long time ago. Yeah, no, they're definitely great memories. And, of course, you know, out here in Oakland, we got this series starting up between the Athletics and the Orioles. And, you know, the one guy that uh, was able to get to the A's was John Means. I mean, at the start of his year at 2-0 with a 1.50 ERA, what stuff he has. Just talk to us about this left-hander. Well, I mean, if you go back to last year, John Means got a new toy during COVID time, and that toy was velocity. And it was two or three miles per hour extra velocity. And that toy got him in trouble last year. His first five starts coming out of COVID weren't very good. He got hit all around the field because he changed what he did best. And what he did best back in 2019 was he made the all-star team because of who he was. And Brandon Hyde, the skipper for the Orioles, called him in about the midway point of the season last year and said, Johnny, you got to get back to doing the things that you used to do. You're not a power pitcher. You don't blow balls away by people. You got to get back to pitching. Well, he did that in the last five starts last year. He was really good. And then he pitched to like a two ERA. Well, that's carried over to this year. And he's back throwing with not quite as much velocity, but the command is better. He took a little bit off the fastball. He really commands his fastball. And as you guys know, look, he can throw the fastball in and out, but the changeup is a difference maker for John Means. Like, he can land that changeup just about in any count, in any situation. And he's throwing a few more curveballs this year. His curveball has come around, and that was kind of the next step for him. He's always been fastball changeup heavy, but he's also mixing in a curveball this year, and it's been really good. So 
Hockey, what can you say about John? I mean, so far this year in 2021, he has been as good as anybody. Well, yeah, and when you got that change of working, it just makes your fastball that much faster to a hitter. That's right, and, and you know he's got a great difference in between the two. So you always want around a ten mile per hour difference. And if you watch him tonight, he'll pitch. You know he'll show you some fours and fives with his fastball, but he'll sit about ninety three. But that changeup is about eighty three miles an hour, so it's the perfect distance. And we talk about you know tunneling now. It, it comes out of the same window. It looks the same as the fastball, but as it travels at sixty feet six inches, it goes down and away from the right handers, uh, and it's a really special pitch for him. You know, and when, when I think about you know the past four games. Just how big is it for this group and this core to not get hammered by the Yankees game after game after game and actually split a series with them? Well, it's huge. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of the youngest position player groups in baseball. And to go out and have some success against the Yankees and and split the series was big because the Yankees have hammered on the Orioles. You go back to 2020, 2019, the the Yankees had a a giant advantage against the Orioles. And so this this young team is starting to grow up a little bit. It's still got a long way to go. It's very erratic at the plate, as you know. Uh, Trey Mancini's starting to come around. But anytime they can get some confidence as a young bunch against a team that's built for October, you know, the Yankees are built for a playoff run. They're built for October baseball. When you can come in and split a series against them, it gives you a little bit of confidence. But They'll certainly have their hands full with you guys tonight. I know Oakland's playing well. Bob Melvin, one of my favorite people. He was my first catcher in the big leagues. I thought about him today. Bob Melvin taught me when I was 21 years old, I got called to the big leagues. I never wore a tie in my life. We had to wear a tie. And I thought about him today because I was tying my tie. And it's still the only tie that I'll know how to tie. Like, it's the only way I can tie a tie is what he showed me back in 1989. And he saw me struggling, sitting in the corner. He said, you don't know how to tie a tie. Do? I said, Mr. Melvin, I've never put a tie on in my life. He said, come here, kid. And he showed me how to put a tie on and he showed me how to tie. And I, I still use the same tie knot every time I put a tie on to, the, to this day. Well, I will be taping the Bob Melvin show tomorrow. We have him on every single week. I can't wait to ask Bob a, a, and uh, get an answer to that story. You tell you ask him about it. He'll remember it. it was 1989 and I could not tie a tie. I had no idea how to do so. And he showed me how to do it. And you'll get a kick out of him because I'm sure tie knots have changed a lot in the last 30 years, but mine hasn't. It's the same. It's the same tie knot today as it was back in 1989. Oh, that is that that is so classic. I can't wait to ask him about that. About that. You know, two years ago when we were because uh, we we normally do this show on the field during batting practice, and Trey Mancini came over, and he, he's a great guy. And, you know, coming back from cancer and beating cancer, just talk about what an inspiration he is. Well, look, you know, if you can't get inspiration from that, you know, it, it, you know, to see a guy in spring training last year that was playing well, then all of a sudden we, you know, I was in camp just helping out a little bit, and all of a sudden Trey was gone. He disappeared. Nobody knew why. And then uh, the news finally came, and it was just heart-wrenching, you know, because it was stage three. And that's, as we know, is not a good thing, right? But Trey went home and, you know, he did his thing, and, and, and he went through the treatments, and we stayed, everybody stayed in touch with Trey along the way. If you know anything about Trey Mancini, he is the fiercest competitor as there is. And there was no doubt if it was in God's hands, Trey Mancini was going to be back on the baseball field. Well, he's been back, you know, and he put a lot of pressure on himself early. He wanted to do well. And you can understand why. When you go through something like that, I think the first thought is, can I live? Am I going to make it? The second thought is, will I ever get to play baseball again? And if I do, will I ever be the player that I was several years ago, you know, when he hit 35 homers and drove in nearly 100 runs. So all those things went through his head. He got off to a rough start putting pressure on himself. But, you know, Don Long, the hitting coach, has calmed him down. They've had some talks with him. And, look, he's been really good. You go back to his last seven games, I think he's hitting 385 with a couple of homers and five RBIs. So he's starting to heat up a little bit. He's just a great story, and he's a great guy, too. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, you know, when he got that standing ovation, you know, it it, it brings tears to your eyes because you know what he's gone through just to get back. And uh, what a special guy. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, all right, let's get into May. But I got to think Cedric Mullins doesn't want to leave April. (laughs) You're right about that. I tell you what, who saw this coming, right? I mean, a young man that uh, hadn't batted just pure lefty since his senior year in high school. He's been a switch hitter in college and all through pro ball. And he finally knows. Come to find out, he had thoughts about doing it two years ago, and the old regime didn't want him to do it. And finally, this past offseason, he said, listen, I'm going to do it. I'm not having much success switch hitting, and my right side is not very good. And I'm going to do it. Brandon Hyde gave him all his bats, as many as he could, against left-handed pitchers and pitchers in spring training. And nobody, and I mean nobody, thought 
that he would have the success he's had lefty on lefty. I think he's batting over 400. But, look, he's a hard worker, and he put a ton of work in. And he's a great story. I mean, you go back two years ago, he was given the job in center field, opening day center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles, and just stunk it up. And not only did he get sent to AAA, he went all the way down to AA and got his stroke back. And he came back last year, same results early, got sent down again. And he came back again. So there's no scar tissue with this kid. Like, he just forgets it. He moves on. He gets better. And he's gotten better. And you talk about exciting to watch. He's been the spark plug at the top of this lineup for the Orioles. And he's a lot of fun to watch. If there was an all-star selection today, I'm pretty sure he'd be an all-star right now. Looking back in your career, how did you like pitching in Oakland? I liked it. I always liked pitching in Oakland. I always thought it was a fair ballpark, uh, especially compared to Camden Yards, where the ball just absolutely jumps out. I love the foul ground, right? Extra foul ground. And so I always felt like that uh, I had a pretty good shot there. You know, now those days in the early 90s, you know, when you had uh, going up against Conseco and McGuire and uh, all the boys and Gallego and Corny Lansford and Steinbach and, and others, it wasn't a, a, a fun lineup to pitch to, I'm going to be honest with you. But it, it was a good, fair ballpark to pitch to. So I always loved coming out to the West Coast. I always thought the weather was great. Anaheim was great, the weather. And it's the King Dome, I, I could have done without the King the King Dome. I, I thought that was a pretty place. But uh, other than that, I love being out in Oakland and uh, over in Anaheim. How about that story that came out in The Athletic that talked about Cal Ripken calling your pitches from shortstop? How true was that yeah. story? It's 100% true. And I think it was my first year in 1990 in the big leagues and Chris Hoyles was a young catcher. He was just a couple years older than me, and he had just gotten called up. And you got to remember, I never called one of my pitches in college. My head coach, Kip Bergman, called every pitch I ever threw. And that's a fault of mine for not trying to think along with him. But all of a sudden, I'd get out of college in 89. I'm in the big leagues in 89 trying to call my own game, and I had not a clue. And we were in there after a game in 1990, and, and Ripken walked in the room. Me and Hoyles were just trying to bumping our heads together, just trying to figure some stuff out after a ball game. And he, he walked in and he said, you guys don't don't really have a clue of what you're doing. And I looked up at him and I said, no, Mr. Ripken, I do not have a clue at all of what I'm doing. He said, well, I can tell. And he said, well, here's the deal. I'll be glad to help you guys out, but it's going to stay in our triangle right here. It's only me, you, and Chris Hoyles is going to know about this. This is the only way I'm going to do it. And I said, yes, sir. And so sure enough, I'm looking at home plate and I'm looking to get the sign from Chris Hoyles. And I'm looking at his eyes, and his eyes are going over my right shoulder because he's waiting for Cal Ripken to hold his glove a certain way and maybe touch something on his chest to say what pitch it's going to be in what location. And all of a sudden, the right finger in the location would go down. This went on for about 25 starts. And after every game, me and Chris and Cal would sit down with a couple of adult beverages, and we would talk about the game and why he wanted to pitch this guy in this situation. And that was my learning curve. That's how I learned to pitch the big league hitters. And Cal always made a big point to me. He said, listen, you're not going to pitch Paul Molitor the same way with two out and nobody on that you're going to pitch Paul Molitor with two out and runners on second and third. Is you want to pitch him a totally different way. And that never really touched base with me until I started to figure out, you're right, if you pitch a big league hitter the same way every time, he's going to make some adjustments. So I got to where I pitched certain guys' situations. It was a situational pitching, right? And then when it really mattered, I'd pitch him a little bit different way. And that's something I learned from Cal. And, of course, Rick Sutcliffe came along a couple years later and I could relate to him being six foot seven and big and like tall like me. And so that was the two guys that probably was most influential in my in my professional career for sure. Now was Cal good at it? He was very good at it. As you know, Cal wasn't the fastest guy, but there were so many times before we even had a shift that we see today that I'd hit a ground ball would go by me to my right side. I'd go, crap, that's a base hit. I turn around and Junior's just standing right there and he's catching it right between his legs and flipping over to first base. I always used to say how could you be right there in that situation? He said, you just keep hitting your spots and I'm going to be in the right place. So Junior knew the hitters as well as anybody. He was a student of the game. And so he knew the tendencies of every hitter, what they like to do and how they were swinging in certain situations. And he made a big difference on shortstop, not only for me, but for, for everyone that played uh, with him. Let's end on this. With all the analytics now for pitching and the technology with the rap Soto and you know all the cameras and spin rates and everything – how do, you, how do you think you would have been with all of this technology back if you would have had that in your career? Wow, there's a lot of info out there. And to me, it can cloud the mind a little bit. But what I do like, I do like the spin rates. In other words, if I, I threw a two-seam fastball and a four-seam fastball, and the analytics would be able to tell me if the two-seamer wasn't any good like it is for some guys, they would, they would say, let's, let's just scrap the two-seamer. Let's throw all four-seamers. You know, Because we were taught the best pitch in baseball was a good four-seamer 
or two seamer down at the knees, right? That was always, that's not the case anymore. You can get some guys out up in the zone. And for a guy like me that had a, a plus fastball, it'd have been interesting to see, you know, what the analytics said about the spin rates of my fastball, my two seamer. I think, you know, it's old school to new school. It's new school that we have more information, but it's old school the fact that if you go tell me and you say, Ben, you can have success in X, Y, and Z, I still, from a mechanic standpoint, still got to get the ball to X, Y, and Z. And that's where the old school still comes in. Mechanics are still very important, but now we have more data to show you where you can have success. And I like that part of it. Well, hey, it was great catching up with you. Enjoy the series. Have a good call on television. And let's do this again soon. I look forward to it. Take care of yourself. Good luck to you guys. The Cal Ripken story is absolutely priceless. And we always love having Eno Saris on. One of the smartest guys in our game. Calmness for the athletic. Here is Eno. You better not swing 3-0, Eno. That is such a (laughs) no-no. Oh, come on. You got to let it eat. (laughs) I mean... I mean, how, how's it possible your manager's mad that you hit a home run? That's crazy. Uh, and I, I feel so bad. This guy's a 28-year-old rookie, man. You know, arbitration, that home run will come up for him in arbitration. Estudillo's never going to hear about that home run again. Yeah, and the fact that Tony says there's going to be consequences inside the uh, family. Like, come on. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't know, man. And, you know, the, he has his players uh, liking posts that are critical about him. There's definitely uh, – the players are definitely voicing their concerns today uh, on social media. So, you know, he if they weren't in first place, man, I think that he would be close to losing that clubhouse and to, to really be on top of it. And that is something everybody was worried about, right? It's like we're starting, we're starting to see everybody's fears. I, I think so, but you know he's he's lucky they're in first. If they're they stay in first, winning usually solves everything. But I, I would say that I I personally think the number one role of a manager is to to sort of manage the personalities. So Scott Emerson, our pitching coach, has said on this program multiple times, check the bats. When you want to talk about all the home runs, he says the bats are different. They don't break as much as they used to. And when they do break, they're like flying objects, like spears, through the air. <laughs> and you guys have been looking at bats. How much has, has the baseball bat changed over the years? No, it has changed. I think the finish uh, is different. Um, you know, there's different, uh, you know, the players have gone to maple over other ones. I think that maple, that might be part of the splintering the the idea is that maple um sticks together longer and is, is a great bat to swing but then when it breaks it shatters um so i think maybe the move from ash and birch to maple has had something to do with that uh, but generally i would say that bat technology and what's going on in the bat world lags behind pitcher technology i mean if you go look at at golfers golfers you know like professional golfers will get golf like will get fitted for their golf clubs where they they're swinging different types and weights and models in front of like a, a machine in front of like a hit tracks type of machine uh, in order to, to really get the exact right model. And uh, even professional baseball players don't really do that. Well, I tell you, I just got fitted last year for clubs uh, golf and they put me on track, man. And they had me try, uh-huh. they had me try different shafts. They had me try different heads you know we start talking about your irons your driver your three wood your rescue club every you know and and certain things i performed different like we know what they did the the guy it it was titleist and that guy put an extra long driver in my uh, extra long shaft in my hand and i immediately was like this is awful he goes yeah he goes you got long arms for your short body so I, I, I had to get shorter than normal shafts. I realized, you know, my entire life I've been playing with clubs that don't fit me. Yeah, yeah. And part of what we're figuring out now, uh, finally, this, this bat engineer that I wrote about uh, that used to work for, for Easton, um, he, he said that, uh, you know, these bats, even bats that have the same model, it's a little, that, that's where it's a little bit different from a golf club. So a golf club is all mostly metal, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's not it's not wood so if they say it's it, it it weighs this many ounces or this 
this many grams, they're probably right down to like the, the microgram. Uh, but when it comes to bats, that comes from wood, from trees. And if you've ever uh, gone to Home Depot and tried to pick out some wood, you'll know that, you know, there's wide differences from one slab to the next. Um, and, uh, and so there's some variants that'll come that will be different from golf where it's just like, okay, we fit you to this model. We think this is the best model for you. And then even when we give you 12 of these bats in this model, one of these bats will be way better than the rest in this group of 12. Um, and so there's this new outfit that's trying to weigh and measure the bats that are given to professional players to tell them, that, you know, these two, three bats are uh, the best bats, and these are these are the worst ones. And it's been—I I wouldn't say it's been a large part of Jed Lowry's resurgence, uh, but it's—you know—Jed Lowry went to long ball this this place, and uh, it's been a part of what's going on. He's got—he's got the best bats fitted for him that he's had in his career. It just makes sense, right? This is the equipment that you use. This is your living. Wouldn't you want to know everything about whether? I don't care if it's your glove, your spikes. Uh, just mm-hmm. e- everything that you're using to succeed, I just think it'd be, why would you want to know everything about it? And it's something you have control over, right? Like, you know, the ball changes every year. We talk all the time about the ball, right? Um, and the ball changes every year, but like, you're not Manfred. You can't do anything about that. Um, and you know, yes, the other equipment is important too, but this is something that directly impacts the ball. So um, you know, I think the players are generally starting to understand. Like one of the things that you saw was like the axe handle. Um, I don't know if there's anybody using that on the A's, but the axe handle is just like a different kind of handle that fits your hand differently. And the guys like Mookie Betts and George Springer love the axe, the axe handle. Uh, so there's been some uh, differences, like some innovation in bats, but there's, there's, uh, there's more, to, more to come, I think. Yeah, I think Ramon Laureano uses one, but I think that would probably be it. And you mentioned the ball. It was so funny. There was an article that came out like on a Tuesday that said, oh, there's evidence to show that the ball's changed. And then on Thursday, another article comes out and goes, nah, it's pretty much the same. So it's like, is the ball different? Is it the same? Is it a juice ball? Not a juice ball? Where are we with that? Yeah, the, the problem was that they made two big changes to the ball and then went in different directions. And so uh, what they did was they deadened the inside of the ball, and so that deadened the ball a little bit. But they also made the ball lighter. So uh, players are hitting the ball harder. If you look up, exit velocities are up. Barrel rates are up. Um, and that's because the ball is lighter. So the two of those things uh, did end up sapping some home runs. Um, we're back to about 26. 2017, 2018, maybe in terms of home runs, but there was a little side effect that they didn't anticipate that has been really bad. And I think you might've noticed it. If you've been watching the game, the lighter ball is easier to throw harder. And we just had the biggest increase in fastball velocity year over year that we've had 10 years. And now the average velocity is over 94 miles an hour and balls also because they're lighter. The seams are a little bit higher. They're, they're moving more. So the strikeout rate just went from, oh, you know, we have a problem. It's 23%. It's now 24 plus. It's like almost 25%. And this is the most strikeouts we ever had in baseball. And it has, it has a little bit to do with the ball. And then I can take a little sunscreen with a little rosin. Ah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, when, but, but seriously, what's baseball going to do if I'm going to say, hey, I'm trying to protect myself from skin cancer. You're going to tell me I can't have sunscreen? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, you know, we revisited, we revisited that uh, a little bit, too. And in subsequent um, analysis, uh, I had a lab look at it, and the sunscreen and rosin is not as bad, uh, and not as crazy, not as good of a performance enhancer as some of the other stuff they're using. They're using a stuff called SpiderTac, which will, like, uh, will, will keep a cinder block attached to your hand. So uh, the SpiderTac gives you 500 RPM, and the sunscreen and rosin gives you like 50 RPM. So, you know, if we did, if baseball did want to do something about strikeout rate, one of the things they could do is just say, hey, sunscreen and rosin, fine. We can't do anything about that. But this other stuff that'll, that'll attach a cinder block to your hand, we gotta, we're going to try and do something about that. What the hell is – I'm looking it up right now. You can buy it on Amazon. Why, why would you – I mean, if, okay, let's get away from baseball. Why would you buy the spider tag? <laughs> what, what, what's it for? 
Uh, I don't know. My dad's a contractor, and I asked him about what what moding uh, cinder blocks meant, and he didn't quite understand. But maybe to to like uh, fill a, a truck with cinder blocks, you put spider tack on your hand. I listen. I don't know. If you look at the uh, mentions and the the comments on that on that page on on eBay, a lot of them are about baseball. <laughs> so I mean, th- th- I mean, you want to talk about funny? I mean, you know, steroids are illegal and cost a lot of money. Spider tack, I, I can get spider tack right now on Amazon for thirteen ninety nine. So you're telling me this substance <laughs> that's thirteen dollars is changing our game? And I had a pitching coordinator, a pitching coordinator. He's on the pitching side, and he said this stuff is better than steroids because it directly impacts the movement of the ball. Well, we need to buy some of this and see what it's like. Like, how could like if you had it on your fingers, could is it is it like clear? Could could umpires actually see it? Uh no, it it, it kind of looks like pine tar. It's kind of like it, it looked dirty, like oily, and very sticky. If they touched you, they'd know right away. <laughs> but um, go up and shake hands with them. But, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and and they're trying to do something about it. I mean, we saw when Bauer came to, to Oakland, they were they were they were taking the balls off of play, um, and uh, and they were they're they're trying to look into it. But you know, I think there's also the complication that the collective bargaining agreement is coming up soon, and so they're already and there's like this big the the players sued baseball over last year's COVID situation um, already. So there's already like this big fight looming, and. Just going, even doing something as simple as suspending Trevor Bauer for 15 days or whatever it is, um, would start another fight uh, with the union, probably. So I think right now they're just trying. You remember in that Mitchell Report time when they were like, "We're just going to try and find out how bad it is." I think I, if I give baseball a charitable reading of what they're doing right now, they're in that we're just trying to figure out how bad it is uh, part of it. I, 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 you know, we, we were talking about it before the show today about the Houston Astros. And I was talking to some of the people down at Diamond Vision going, how many people would have to be involved to set up a camera in center field, wire it all the way back into the, you know, past the dugout and down in a hallway? Like, that's not – like, Alex Cora's is not going to Best Buy and buying a TV and a oh, camera. Oh, my God. I mean, how many people – That was the whole organization. Yeah, I mean, how, <laughs> I mean, how many people had to be involved in this to make that happen? And that's why it leaked. And that's why it's been more frustrating covering this because it's just something where people say, oh, we've been doing this forever. Oh, whatever. It's just sunscreen and rosin. The, the, the Red Sox, they didn't, they didn't even get in trouble for it, you know? Uh, so people say it's not, it's not, it's just been done forever. However, it's been science now, you know what I mean? <laughs> they're like, they're, they're figuring out it's spider tack gives you 500 RPM. It's a little different than when they were like, Oh yeah, you just, you know, put some sunscreen on the rosin. <laughs> so, um, everything, everything in this game gets science. It, we, we started talking about the science of bats, right? Everything gets science. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. I guess. Yeah. If you want to go with the, the, the heavy spider tack, that's going to run you a cool thirty-eight ninety-nine on Amazon. Oh, 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 oh! There you go. I can't believe but, they're, they're, if anybody wants to check, I, I check them out. There are definitely comments that people are like, "This is great for pitching," and you're like, "Uh, okay." <laughs> well, I what, what ends up happening is, you know, these guys are all launch angle. These guys are all trying to hit home runs, and now you got guys throwing harder than ever with more movement than ever. And we have less action in the game. And let's face it, it gets boring. You know, we can have games that are three to two games. And at the end, uh, Ken Quark will be like, and that was three hours and 34 minutes. You're like, there was only five runs scored in the game. Yeah. And uh, it's, I, I don't think it's, you know, sometimes it's about the way that it's scoring. You know, it could be a 3-2 game with five solo homers, you know, and that then those could be the five hits in the game, you know, um, and uh, and that's that's how it feels in in baseball where it's like uh, we're we've lost the single and and don't ask me about the triple man because I love the triple but we lost the triple too um, and so it's more I you know the, uh, baseball was really upset about 
how long games were and they were trying to cut it down, which they didn't do. It's, it's still three hours. It's been three hours forever and it's not going to be three hours. I mean, anything less than three hours anytime soon. What's more important to me is how long we go between a ball and play. And that time is through the roof. And I, I just think that's important because when you're at home, a strikeout is fine, right? Because you see all the movement, you see where it's placed, you see 98. Oh, that was nasty pitch. You know, you, that's fine. It's great. When you're at the ballpark, it's like 80% of the park can't see what pitch type it was or what the velo was, right? You know what I mean? It's like, what pitch was that? And I love when people up in the bleachers are like, oh, man, that wasn't a strike. And you're like, dude. (laughs) 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 You sure that wasn't a strike? Uh, But anyway, my my point is, like, strikeouts at the ballpark are not as fun. At home, I can see it. Yeah, strikeouts can be fun at home. That's the TV experience. But at the ballpark, strikeouts are not as much fun. And everybody looks up from their phone or looks up from their conversation when they hear the crack of the bat. Balls and play are good. You know, ever since we started shifting on righties as much as almost lefties, I've noticed this year, and I, I, don't, I don't keep track, but just, you know, keeping score every game for the A's and watching it, it seems like the shift is getting beat more than it has in the past. Is there any type of metric or numbers saying that, yeah, we're shifting, but the shift's getting beat? I think there's, you know, there's a way of just saying it very simply, which is that there's always going to be a point at which it becomes less useful to shift more. And I think we've got to that point. Like, we've, we're, more teams are shifting more often than ever before. That means at some point you've gone too far. <laughs> I mean, like – there is going to be a point where it's too much because there's this whole other part of the field. And I, I've definitely anecdotally seen more bunts uh, to beat the shift, more uh, players developing sort of a, a B swing or a C swing uh, where they can just kind of put it in play, slap it the other way. Um, and that's what's going to happen. If you continue to shift, you're going to, you're going to, that's the only reason why I don't want to get rid of the shift necessarily. Because over time there are going to be, we're going to value people who can hit the ball the other way and make contact. Uh, and that's going to start per- percolating through, and I think we're starting to see it. If you get rid of the shift, then everybody can go back to trying to pull full homers and full singles because they'll get they'll get more singles out uh, with the shift gone. Yeah, the people around here, you know, when you talk to them off the record, they're like, "Hey, guys, get paid to homer." Because I'm always like, "Yeah, all you got to do is hit a ground ball to short, and you got a base hit. There's nobody there. I mean, wh- why wouldn't you do that? Well, you don't get pay- you don't get paid to do that. You get paid to hit homers." I will say. Michael Brantley got a pretty good deal. And I think that teams are starting to realize that in the postseason, strikeout rate is really important. So what if we do this? What if next year we expand the postseason like we did last year, right? And more and more teams get into the postseason. Then it'll be more important to start building your team for the postseason than the regular season. Because half the teams get in, and then all of a sudden teams will say, ooh, I really need to have a team that can put the ball in play because it's going to be all about the postseason this year. You know, I know the fans do not care about this, but for people in our business, it's been tough that we have not been around these guys for essentially eight, two years. And as you mentioned, the CBA is coming up. I, you know, do, do you think the players are going to try and maybe keep it this way to where they don't have as much interaction with the media? They don't have beat writers hanging out in the clubhouse uh, before every game and after every game. Do you think they'll fight for that? I don't think it's uh, – <laughs> I think that some of them definitely did enjoy not having us around. <laughs> uh, but uh, I will say that I just don't think that it's, it's a high priority because the number one priority is getting the first – in your first three years when you're in the big leagues, getting more money in those years. The number one priority is getting paid when you're young because they're not paying you when you're old anymore. So you got to get paid when you're young. So I think the number one priority for – for the, for the players is double the minimum salary, which is at 500000 right now, um, and that'll be a big deal. And then maybe trying to cut one year of arbitration, something like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, if you don't want to pay me later, you got to pay, pay me early. And, I, and I've, exactly. said, <laughs> I, I've said this, I'd rather pay a guy in his prime than, he was when, than mm-hmm. when he's 35 years old. Speaking of that, I'm watching the Astros take ground balls as we speak. What the heck do you do with Carlos Correa when he turns down 120-something million and you think there's a good chance he's going to leave? Do you ride it out or do you want to get something for him? 
I mean, I think they're gonna, that particular team is going to ride it out because they um, are a contender and, you know, they're going to play to the end of the season and, and be a wild card or, or division contender. So I think they'll, they'll hold on to them. One thing that they've done behind the scenes is they signed a, a center fielder type from Cuba, Pedro Leon, Pedro Leon, who will be ready pretty quickly. And instead of playing him in center, they're playing him at short. So I think that's kind of like broadcasting. They're like, okay, we're kind of moving on. Um, and, uh, and then lastly, I mean, I think it's harder for a team like, uh, you know, the Rockies, they're out of contention, but Trevor story, uh, his deal is up at the end of the season. So will, how much will they even get back for him? Uh, but that's the, that's the big shortstop. And he's even been linked to Oakland. So, uh, that'd be pretty wild if, if Trevor <laughs> story was the big A's acquisition. Can you imagine if Carlos Correa came to the A's, how awkward that would be? Oh, no, yeah, I, did. <laughs> I mean, the players, I mean, the bottom line is our guys don't like their guys. It's just a reality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, they've had a, a long history of, you know, of competing in the division, but then also just this huge cheating scandal where they were like, look, they were, they were cheating. And, uh, and, uh, you know, they're, you know, maybe not all of that stuff has come out. Well, I, I, I'm going to do this for us. I'm going to order some spider tack off Amazon, and we're going to get to the bo- <laughs> we're going to we're going to get we're going to get to the bottom of how a how a substance that costs thirteen ninety nine has changed all of baseball. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got to get someone uh, who can who can throw all right. At, you know, like someone who just uh, was in college or 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 just uh, just finished up a, a career and get them to throw. Uh, but you know, in the clubhouse, when we were still in the clubhouse, I was anecdotally, I was seeing players. I had players that when they were talking to me, were loading up, were, were putting pine tar in their gloves. Um, and <laughs> that's how, that's how widespread it was. Oh, I love that about our game. All right, buddy. Hey, it's great to hear from you. You'd be well. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me on. We want to thank Mark Langston, Ben McDonald, and Eno Saris for coming on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.